All right. Well, thanks for listening to this Convincing Proof podcast. What I want to do in this episode is kind of follow up from last time. Last time we were talking about the conclusions through abductive reasoning that we can make about uh, what God is like from the uh, most common arguments for God's existence. So there's three, I guess, family families of arguments for God's existence. There's the first cause family, so a lot of arguments uh, for the existence of God that are uh, about you know, there being a first cause and, and God being the ex- best explanation of of the first cause or, or the best um, explanation of, for example, in the Kalam cosmological argument, the best example of the, uh, the beginning of the universe, where the universe came from. But there's a whole host of arguments all throughout history that are similar to those first cause um, arguments or that I would put in that family of first cause arguments. There's also uh, what I call design arguments for the existence of God. The most popular right now is the fine-tuning argument. But again, this is a whole family of arguments uh, that can be found around the world and throughout history. And then the last family, a uh, major family of arguments for the existence of God are moral arguments. And one of the things that we were talking about in the last episode is how Different thinkers, different, oh, however you want to say it, different people groups, different countries, um, different cultures have come to a very similar conclusion about what God is like from uh, these arguments. So what you see is you see these types of arguments, moral, design, and first cause arguments around the world and throughout history, uh, developed by thinkers independently. And so we find just a lot of cultures being theistic. Even if they're not monotheistic, even if they're polytheistic, they still have within their belief system some sort of an ultimate being or, or supreme being that is the source of all other uh, gods or beings. Now, from this thought process, as I understand it, just these thinkers uh, throughout history and around the world observing reality and thinking through this stuff using their uh, reason, abductive reasoning, inductive reasoning, uh, deductive reasoning, coming to very similar conclusions about what this ultimate being is like. And we talked about this last time. Uh, It seems that we find this idea of a supreme being that is spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, uh, very powerful, a creator, intelligent, the source of morality and love, and then personal. So you find this idea, and of course, you know, different cultures, different thinkers throughout history and around the world use different names to describe this supreme being or this idea of a ultimate being. So like in Greek, for example, they would use the word theos, T-H-E-O-S, where we get the word theology from. So when Aristotle and Plato um, described their understanding of the ultimate being, they would use that term. The term we use in English is is God, and that comes from you know an ancient Proto-Germanic language that uh, then developed over the centuries to be used in English to refer to a ultimate supreme being. 
So different cultures, different languages use different names for the supreme being, but the concept is the same. That's the point I'm getting at. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they all came to these similar conclusions, or the vast majority of them came to these similar conclusions, because they arrived at these conclusions through the same thought process, independently. And that's why you see the, the thought process that I'm describing is these arguments, these family of arguments, where people just observed the world around them and came to these conclusions and built these arguments. And it was these arguments which led them, as they thought about it, to the conclusion that there is an ultimate being, and most likely the ultimate being has those type of characteristics. As I said before, we were going to um, look at examples of thinkers throughout history and around the world who have came to this conclusion. But there's a book that I'll recommend that goes into this uh, in much more detail. I'm just going to spend 10, maybe 15 minutes on this. But if you would like to see a book um, where, you know, there's all this is listed out with footnotes and details and references, so you don't have to just take my word for it. You can look this up and see these different thinkers coming to these similar conclusions throughout history and around the world independently. The book, the name of the book is Does God Exist? Question mark, And it's by W. David Beck. So the subtitle is A History of Answers to the Question. So let me just give you some examples. Some of these can be found in the book. Some of them I've just discovered on my own through my reading and such. But let me just give you some examples. We could start with the early Greek philosophers. Uh, they're some of the most famous thinkers throughout history, right? So Socrates, for example. Socrates argued that the world seems providentially designed by a vastly knowledgeable and powerful being. And to make his case, he would point to the purpose that we see or the intention the design, if you will, found in simple things. Oh, in one instance, he even uses our eyelashes. Our eyelashes seem to be designed to protect or shield our eyes. We can move on to Plato, right? Plato has a lot of different, um, he explains in many different ways and places how he came to the conclusion that there is a, an ultimate being and then makes his, his case and gives arguments for that conclusion. So, for example, in one of um, Plato's writings, he talks about how the physical world, including us, we're part of the physical world, it's constantly changing, right? It's always in flux. And therefore, it can't really provide the fixed certainty that's required for objective truth, including objective moral truth. And so he proposed the existence of what we call today transcendent universal truths, or Plato's forms. These abstract objects, if you will, abstract truths that just exist out there on their own, apart from the physical world. And then he suggested that there was a divine craftsman who used these universal truths, these forms, to craft or create the physical world. He argued for a divine being, quote, from the order of the motion of the stars, and of all the things under the dominion of the mind which ordered the universe, end quote. Plato said there must be a best soul who is the maker and father of all, the, if you will, king who ordered the primordial chaos into the rational cosmos that we observe today. We can move on to another ancient Greek thinker, Aristotle, probably the most famous. 
He argued that there must be a first unmoved mover, which he argued is God, some sort of ultimate being, supreme being, which he described as a living, intelligent, incorporeal, uh, eternal, and most good being, the source of order in the cosmos. One of Aristotle's arguments, a, a famous one, right, is the argument from motion. So just a simple example, you know, think of in our world, in our culture, a train, right? When you come, in, come up to a train um, stop and there, there's train cars going by, you have to stop and wait for them, right? Well, as you're sitting there just watching the cars go by, you, you, you know intuitively that there must be a beginning. There must be something that either at the beginning or the end that started the motion, right? What we would call an engine, right, for the train. Similarly, um, you can just work back either in causes or even motion in our universe. There has to be some sort of ultimate beginning. There has to be some sort of, unless you're comfortable with an infinite regress of causes or an infinite regret of motion, motions, putting things into motion. And most philosophers um, will argue against the possibility of an uh, infinite regress of motion or an infinite regress of causes. And so he argued then that there must be an unmoved mover, a beginning, an ultimate that started everything in motion, the first cause, if you will. So this is one of the first cause arguments. And he described this first cause as eternal, necessary, unchanging, and the ultimate purpose of all things. Now, there's a lot of Greek thinkers, those are the most famous, of course, that concluded that there is a supreme being. And I find it really interesting, you know, as a Christian, to see Paul in Acts 17. In Acts 17, Paul is interacting with some Greek philosophers, and he makes the point that they, the Greek philosophers he's talking with, correctly understand that there is an ultimate being. And in fact, to make his point, to affirm his point that they are correct in believing that there is an ultimate being, he quotes from two of their own Greek authors. So you can look at Acts 17 yourself, but there Paul quotes this phrase, quote, in him we live and move and exist, end quote, from Kretika, a famous Greek hymn by uh, Epimenides. Paul also quotes right there in Acts 17 that all people are his children, God's children, if you will, from a famous Greek poem by Eratus. So Paul, interestingly enough, he is affirming that the Greeks were correct when they came to this conclusion that there is an ultimate being. And he quotes some of their own Greek writers to make that point, that they were correct. Now he goes on in Acts 17 to explain you know, even though they were right that there is a supreme being, they had some misconceptions of what this supreme being is like. And he lovingly corrects their um, misconceptions and points them to Jesus. But anyway, moving on, we can look at other cultures throughout history who independently came to these same conclusions. One of my favorites to study and look at is a belief system known as Zoroastrianism. Now, this was the major religion of uh, Persia, from the 6th century BC till the 7th century AD. It was founded by uh, someone who was called Zarathustra. Sometimes he's called uh, Zoroaster. That's why it's referred to as Zoroastrianism. 
But that belief system also promoted a, a, an extreme monotheism that focused on morality and justice. And I find it very fascinating. In fact, one of my very first uh, pieces of work that got published was an encyclopedia article I wrote on Zoroastrianism. And their beliefs were remarkably similar um, to a lot of Jewish beliefs. But it's interesting, you find these um, people groups then, like those Zoroastrians, who are strict monotheists. And this might be of interest to you, those of you that are Christians. Um, guess what the, their priests are called? The priests of the Zoroastrian religion were called magi. And so what we see in the New Testament then is, is three of these magi being aware somehow of Jesus uh, being born as the Messiah in Bethlehem and then coming to uh, worship what they recognize as the Messiah. So it makes you wonder, you know, how these Zoroastrians, how these magi were aware of not only that there is a God, but even some of these messianic things. Did God speak to them directly somehow? Did they learn this possibly from uh, Daniel or uh, Jewish individuals? So that's that's something to explore. But not only Western culture, and um, we can also look at Eastern culture too, where we see these arguments for the existence of God throughout history and around the world. So there's philosophers in the, I'm going to butcher this, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, but it's N-Y-A-Y-A, so uh, Nyaya tradition. They argue that since the universe has parts that came into existence at one occasion and not another, that the universe must have a cause. Another example, this would be from uh, Hindu philosophy, and a commentary to uh, Brahma Sutras, Adai Sankara argues that the original karmic actions themselves can't bring about the proper results at some future time. Neither can supersensuous, non-intelligent qualities like uh, Ardstra by themselves mediate the appropriate, justly deserved pleasures and pains. The fruits, according to him, must be administered through the action of a conscious agent, namely a supreme being. And they use the term Ishvara for this supreme ultimate being. Another um, Indian thinker, Udi Udayana, in his book, A Handful of Flowers of Logic, gave eight arguments that there is an ultimate being. Four of these arguments are first cause arguments. And then most recently, in the, um, uh, we would say Hindu or Indian culture, Gandhi published many articles and arguments for the existence of God. And he published arguments, uh, he used first cause, design, and moral arguments. So here's just one example. Gandhi wrote, quote, There is an orderliness in the universe, an unalterable law governing everything and every being that exists or lives. It's not a blind law, for no blind law can govern the conduct of living beings. That law, then, which governs all life is God. Law and lawgiver are one. And there's Jewish thinkers that developed arguments for the existence of God, um, Arabic uh, thinkers, and then of course a lot of European thinkers down throughout the century, you know, whether it's the Middle Ages, um, Augustine, Anselm, Aquinas, in the modern era, Descartes, Spinoza, Leibniz, in the Enlightenment era, Voltaire, Isaac Newton, uh, 
Even in the postmodern era, you have Immanuel Kant and Soren Kierkegaard developing arguments for God. And in the contemporary Western culture, you know, people like Alvin Planica and then Richard Swinburne at Oxford University are contemporary Western thinkers that develop um, arguments, uh, additional new arguments for the existence of God, building on the history of some of this work in these different three families of arguments. So one thing, you know, that sometimes that Christians will ask in response to this, when they uh, first learn about the, all these arguments for God and these monotheistic thinkers, uh, or th I should say theistic thinkers throughout history and around the world who developed a very similar concept of God independently, they say, well, how, how could this be? How could, they, how could this um, happen? How could they come to this conclusion? And I think Paul uh, discusses this in Romans chapter 1. So you can take a look on your own at Romans chapter 1, but in there he explains how God has revealed himself through his creation, and that even his uh, attributes, some of his attributes can be known by what he has created. It's similar to, I often think of it in terms of art, right? So when you look at a piece of art, you can make some conclusions about the artist from their art. And I know it, Paul goes on in Romans 1 to talk about how the unrighteous have suppressed these truths, but evidently, not all of them have um, suppressed them to the same degree. For example, uh, Paul, again, he quotes some of these Greek thinkers in Acts 17 to say, look, effectively, they have come to the right conclusion, at least a partially right conclusion that there is a supreme being. And then he goes on, after he quotes those Greek authors, to correct some of the things they have wrong, or some of the things that they misconceptions they have about what God is like. So this idea, sometimes I hear objections from atheists that, you know, there's 3,000 gods have been uh, proposed throughout uh, human history, and, and, uh, so, and you just happen to choose the right one, right? So it's kind of an attack against theism or you know, any particular form of theism. An atheist will say, well, you know, there's been so many different ideas of, of gods throughout human history, and do you think you're really just so lucky that you actually picked the right one? And, I, and the way that I respond to that is I, you know, there's similar things that we've, different cultures have had different beliefs about. First of all, you know, just think about different beliefs about the sun in our solar system, right? There's been all sorts of different beliefs about the sun throughout history, from primitive cultures to modern-day scientific cultures, and I, I could say the same thing to somebody who has a scientific understanding of the sun. There's been so many different ideas about the sun throughout history. What makes you think that yours is correct? Um, and they would say, well, based on good reasons and evidence, and, and I would be satisfied with that, but it's the same thing for us. We have good reasons and evidence to think that our understanding of God is the correct understanding of God, and this idea that there's been 3,000 different gods proposed down through human history is, is not entirely accurate. No, it seems like most thinkers and most people groups, most cultures have developed the, the, the idea that there is an ultimate being, some sort of supreme being, a first cause, if you will. And they've you know used different names to describe this ultimate being. They've um, had you know slightly different conceptions of what the supreme being is like, but there's a lot of similarity between these different um, conceptions of God. Like I said, a lot of them come to this similar conclusion that this supreme being is immaterial, 
uh, powerful, spaceless, timeless, the creator of all things, the source of love and morality. Um, so it's it's not as though there's been just radically different ideas proposed and we just happy happen to be the lucky ones that have the right idea. But no, there's there's a, um, a pretty, uh, not, yeah, I would want to say a pretty standard almost understanding of what the supreme being is like that people have developed independently around the world and throughout history separate from one another. And we just come along and affirm that and say, uh, yeah, we, we agree that we think there is a supreme being. And in fact, we have good reasons and evidence to believe that the supreme being has um, spoken to us, has, has given us a message, what we would call, right, the 66 books of the Bible. And in that communication from God, he discloses uh, even more specifically what he is like. And so... That's our understanding as Christians, and uh, I really enjoy diving into this stuff and seeing how different thinkers throughout history have come to similar conclusions about what God is like.